Hello. Hi. And welcome to Infinite Cast, a podcast. Chris is getting into character. I'm getting into character. They call me Mr. Motherfucking Too Damn Tennis. <laughs> what if tennis, but Miss, too much? Yeah, what if tennis, but too much? Uh, all right, so we are back in. <laughs> oh, God. I don't like that your digital reader head gives a percentage at the bottom. Oh, yeah. I can't figure out how to turn that off. Also, t- tell me if it's annoying to scroll. I took the swiping page mechanism off. Okay, so I go... So you scroll, yeah, from the bottom. Okay, okay. I don't okay. know if that makes me makes me a freak, but I was I was just trying it. I was like, why not? I don't know. All right, so... Skeuomorphism is dead. Skeuomorphism is dead. R.I.P. Uh, all right, so we are doing a Steeply Morath chapter today. And... Uh, First, sorry. Uh, although I know it sounds like not it's not everyone's least favorite thing, but also I don't think there's too many of these left. So, cherish our time on the outcropping. You know. Uh, yes. The sun's coming up. Can't stop it. Uh, that is the thing about the sun. It do it do just come up every single damn day. Yeah. Ugh. One day at a time. Shall well, we? Yes. Let's do it. First May YDAU outcropping northwest of Tucson, AZ, USA. My own father. Steeply said. Steeply again faced outward, one hip out and a hand on that hip. The scratch on his triceps was now ugly and puffed. Also, an area of Steeply's left finger was whiter than the skin around it. The removal of a university ring, or more probably a wedding band. It seemed curious to Morath that Steeply would undergo electrolysis but not take trouble to fix his finger's annular pallor. Annular. Steeply said, My own father, sometime around midlife. We watched him get consumed with a sort of entertainment. It wasn't pretty. I was never sure how it started or what it was about. You are now imparting a personal anecdote of you, Morath stated. Steeply did not shrug. He was pretending to study something particular out on the floor of the desert. But nothing like this sort of entertainment. A plain old television program. Television of broadcasting and, how did one express it? The passivity. Yes, broadcast television. The program in question was called MASH. The title was an... Oh, yeah, I was confused by quotations around MASH. The title was an acronym, not a command. As a boy, I can recall some confusion on this point. I am knowing of the USA historical broadcast television comedy program (laughs) MASH, Marath stated. The fucking thing ran forever, it seemed. The program would not die. BS 70s and 80s before it finally died, mercifully. Set on a military hospital during the UN's actions on Korea. Marath remained without expression. Police action. Many small birds of the mountain of the outcropping had begun to whistle and twitter somewhere off above and behind them. Also, maybe the tentative rattle of some serpent. Morath pretended to search for the watch in his pocket. Steeply said, Now nothing prima facie exceptional about getting attached to a show. (laughs) God knows I was attached to my share of shows. That's all it started as, an attachment or habit. Thursday nights at 21H, 2100H. 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, and Mountain, they used to broadcast this to alert you when to watch, or if you were going to tape it. Morath watched the big man shrug from behind. So the show was important to him. So, fine. Okay. So he took pleasure in the program. God knows the guy was entitled. He worked like a dog his whole life. So, okay, at the start, he scheduled his Thursday around the show. To an extent, it was hard to pinpoint anything wrong or consumptive. 
He was, yes, always home from work by 2050 on Thursdays, and he always had his supper watching the program. It seemed almost cute. Mummykins used to tease him, think it was adorable. Cuteness in fathers, this is rare. There was no way Marath was going to touch the evident USA childhood expression mummykins. My old man worked for a heating oil distributorship. Home heating oil. Having your file, have your files on this? A tidbit for M40A. USOUS's Steeply HH, late father, a heating oil delivery dispatcher. Cheery Oil, Troy, New York. State of New York, USA, prior to reconfiguration. Hugh steeply turned around, but not all the way, scratching absently at his wens. But then, syndication. MASH. The show was incredibly popular. After a few years of Thursday nights, it started also to run daily, during the day, or late at night sometimes, in what I remember all too well was called syndication, where local stations bought old episodes and chopped them up and loaded them with ads and ran them. And this, note, was while all new episodes of the show were still appearing on Thursdays at 2100. I think this was the start. The cuteness, it was over. My old man started to find the syndicated runs extremely important to him, too, as in, like, not to be missed. Even though he had viewed and enjoyed them before, these reruns. This fucking show ran on two different local stations in the Capital District, Albany and Environs. For a while, this one station even had a mash hour, two of them back-to-back every night from 2300, plus another half an hour in the early p.m. for for the unemployed or something. Morath said, virtually a bombardment of this USA broadcast comedy program. After a brief pause of attention to some wens of the face, Steebly said, He started to keep a small television down at work, down at the distributorship. For the broadcast of afternoon. Steebly appeared to Morath, uncalculating in his statements. Broadcast TV toward the end, they made some of the, them really small, kind of a pathetic try at keeping cable down. Some as small as, like, wrist-sized. You'd be too young to remember. I remember well a pre-digital television. Morath, if Steepley's anecdote of himself had a political point or communique, Morath could not yet determine this. Steepley moved his foul Belgian cigarette into his right hand to flick it out into the space below. It progressed very slowly, the gradual immersion, the withdrawal from life. I remember guys from his bowling league calling that he'd quit. Our mummykins found out he dropped out of Knights of Columbus. <laughs> Thursdays, the joke and cuteness stopped. Him all hunched in front of the set, barely even eating from his tray. And every night, late at night, for the nightly hour, the old man, too wide awake and hunched over weirdly, head out, as if pulled towards the screen. I too have seen this posture of viewing, Morath grimly said, recalling his second oldest of brothers and the, can- the Canadians of the NL of H. And he got anxious ugly if something made him miss even one even one episode he'd and he'd get ugly if you pointed out he'd already seen most of them about seven times before mummykins began to have to lie to get them out of engagements that would have infringed neither of them talked about it i don't remember any of us trying to name the thing out loud this dark shift in his attachment to the program mash who is this guy lex g (laughs) The organism of families simply shifted to accommodate. Which wasn't even all that consuming. Which wasn't even all that consuming in entertainment. Steeply said. He sounded to Marath uncalculated and somewhat younger. I mean, it was okay. 
It was a broadcast TV, broad comedy with canned laughter. I am remembering well this rerunning program. Do not worry about me, said Morath. It was at some point during this gradual shift the notebook first appeared. He began writing notes in a notebook as he viewed, but only when viewing MASH. And he'd never left the notebook lying around where you could just where you could get any kind of look at it. He wasn't openly secretive about it. You couldn't even point to that and say something was wrong. The MASH notebook just never seemed to be lying around. With the hand that was not below the blanket still gripping the sterling UL-35, Morath was holding his thumb and forefinger up against the smear of red, which was just over the mountains of Rincon, and craning his neck to see his shadow behind them on the hillside. Steeply changed the hip, which was out in his standing, to his other hip. As a child, this is when it became impossible to ignore the odor of obsession about the whole thing. The secrecy about the notebook, the secrecy about the secrecy, the scrupulous recording of tiny details in careful order for purposes you could just tell were both urgent and furtive. This is unbalance, Morath concurred, this attaching of excessive importance. Jesus, you don't know the half of it. And for you also, Morath said, excessive unbalance. For your father progresses downhill in this obsessing, but always so slowly that always you could question yourself whether you were maybe yourself the one out of balance, attaching too much importance to any one thing, a notebook, a posture, crazy-making. And the toll on mummykins. (laughs) Morath had turned the chair to a slight angle to be able to see his shadow, which appeared blunt and deformed by the topography of the steep hillside above the outcropping, and in general pathetic and small. There would be no titanic or menacing broken gepenched phantom, broken gespenced phantom with the sunrise of dawn. Morath said, the whole organism of family becomes out of balance, questioning its perceptions. The old man, then he started developing this habit of quoting little lines and scenes from MASH to illustrate some idea, to make some point in conversation. At the beginning of this habit, it seemed casual about it, as if the little bits and scenes simply occurred to him. But this changed, but slowly. Plus, I remember he started seeking out feature films that also featured the television program's actors. Morath pretended to sniff. Then at some point, it was as if he was no longer able to converse or communicate on any topic without bringing it back to the program. The topic without some symptom of refer- system of reference to the program. Steeply gave small indications of paying attention to the small squeaks as Morath turned his chair slightly this way and that way, achieving different angles of sight on his small shadow. Steeply exhaled air through the nostrils with a forceful sound. Though it wasn't as though he was wholly uncritical of it. It sometimes, from somewhere blue, occurred to Morath that he did not dislike this steeply, though like or respect would be too far in going to say. It was not the type of obsession... Oh, oh wait, sorry, that was me. It was not the type of obsession with it, it, you are saying. It was gradual and slow. He started at some point, I remember, to refer to the kitchen as the mess tent <laughs> and his den as the marsh or swamp. These were fictional locations in the show. He began renting films with even crowd extra or cameo appearances by the program's actors. He bought what was then called a beta mixer. Which takes us to end at 263. Sick, presumably for Betamax, registered to Sony. Back to the text. A kind of early magnetic video recorder. He began the practice of magnetically recording each of the week's 29 broadcasts and reruns. He stored the tapes, organizing them in Baroque systems of cross-references that had nothing discernible to do with dates or recording. 
I remember Mummykins didn't say anything but uh, when he moved his bedding and began to sleep at night in the easy chair of the den, the swamp, or pretend to sleep. But you had your suspicions of not real sleeping. It was gradually obvious he was viewing his magnetic recordings of the program mashed throughout the night, probably over and over again, using a crude white plastic earplug to hide the noise, scribbling feverishly in his notebook. In contrast with the violence and transpersonal puncturing of the sunset, the dawn sun seemed slowly exhaled from the more rounded salience of the mountains of Rincon, its heat a moisture heat, and the light the vague red of a type of fond sentiment, and USOUS's steeply's standing shadow was cast back over the outcropping toward Morath behind him, close enough that Morath might reach his arm out and touch the shadow. Okay, this is Steeply. You could tell I don't have a good recall of the exact progression of the thing. Steeply said. The gradual. I do know that Mummykins, I remember one day in the garbage can out behind the house, she found a number of letters addressed to a MASH character named, this I fucking assure you I remember, Major Burns. She found them. Morath did not allow himself to chuckle. While searching inside the can of waste in the back for evidence of unbalance... Steeply waved Morath off. He was incapable of amused. She didn't, she didn't search through the garbage. Mummykins had too much class. She probably forgot she threw away today's t- Troy record before she clipped her food coupons. She was an inveterate coupon clipper. This was prior to the days of North American laws of recircling, uh, which takes us to uh, NO264 sick, but it's pretty obvious what Morath means here. <laughs> uh, recircling of newspapers. Steeply did not wave off or give a glare. He wore the look of concentrating. This character, this I remember too well, was portrayed by, I remember, the actor Maury Linville, a plain old employee of 20th Century Fox. Which later upstarted the fourth network of the Large Four. Steeply's luridly run makeup from the heat of the day before had now, over the night, hardened into a configuration of almost horror. But the letters, the letters were addressed to Major Burns, not to Maury Linville, and not care of Fox Studios or whatever, but addressed to an involved military address with a sole routing code. In the South Korea of history. (laughs) The South Korea of history. (laughs) The letters were hostile, savage, and lavishly descriptive. He'd come to think the show's character Major Burns embodied some type of cataclysmic Armageddon-type theme that was slowly assembling itself to the program and progressively being hinted at and emerging in gradual succession in the seasons of this mash. Steeply felt at his lip. I remember Mummykins never mentioning the letters from the garbage. She would left, left, She just left them around where my kid sister and I would see them. We're not meaning your sister was a goat. Ha! Steeply was not provocable into some different emotion, however, Morath observed. Younger sister, but my old man, the progression of the program from fun to obsession... Crucial distinctions had collapsed, and I think now, between the fictional Burns and this Linville who portrayed Burns. Morath raised a brow for concurring. This is signifying a severe loss of balance. I remember something about him. I remember something about he seemed to believe the character of the name of the character Burns also somehow hiddenly signified the English verb for the promise of consuming fire or apocalypse. Morath looked puzzled or else squinted because of a rising sun. But he threw the letters into the waste receptacle, you stated, instead of the snail's mail. He'd already started missing whole weeks at a time from work. He'd been at at Cheery for decades. He was only a few years from retirement. Morath was looking at his lap's blankets brightening colors of plaid. 
Mo Cheery and the Old Man. They were bold to. Is this? That's you. Okay. Mo Cheery and the Old Man. They'd bold together. They were Knights of Columbus together. Missing all the weeks of work made things awkward. Mo didn't want to do. Didn't want to can the old man. He wanted the old man to see somebody. A professional person. A lot of this w- I wasn't even there for, the MASH thing. I was at college by the time he, the really crucial distinctions had collapsed. Studying the multiple cultures. My kid sister had to keep me abreast of the developments during the term. Good old Mo Cheery would come by them to the house, view magnetic tapes of the old show with the old man a while, listen to the old man's theories and views. Then on his way, he'd collar mummykins and take her out to the garage and talk to her very quietly about the fact that the old man was in a high-angle psychic nosedive and needed with all due regard in his opinion to see somebody in the direst fucking way. My kid sister said mummy Kinsey... Mumkinski? My kid sister said to the Mumkinski always acted like she had no idea what Mo Chiri was talking about. Morath smoothed at his blanket. Mumkinski being a type of pet family name. Steeply said, looking a little bit of embarrassed. Morath nodded. I'm trying to reconstruct this out of memory. Steeply said. The old man is by this time pretty much unable to converse without any about anything except the television program MASH. The theory of the theme of this burn-slash-burning apocalypse now sort of spreads out to become this huge, complex theories about wide-ranging and deeply hidden themes having to do with the death of time on the show, like evidence of some sort of seeded, coded communication to certain viewers about an end of our familiar type of world time and the advent of a whole different order of world time, the time cube. <laughs> Your mother continues to play act at normalcy, however. I'm trying to reconstruct things that were, weren't even clear at the time. Steeply said, his wet and then dried makeup now grotesque in his concentration in the sunrise, like a mask of a mentally ill clown. He said... One theory involved a fact which the old man found extremely significant. The historical Korean police action in the UN lasted a roughly two odd years. But that MASH itself was by then into something like its seventh year of new episode. Some characters on the program were getting gray hair, receding hair, facelifts. The old man was convinced this signified intentional themes. According to my kid sister who bore the brunt of the time spent with him watching. Steeply said. The old man's theories were almost inconceivably complex and wide ranging. As the years of new seasons went on and some actors retired and characters were replaced by other characters, the old man generated Brococo themes without uh, what it uh, was that had, quote, underlined really happened to the absent characters. Where they'd gone, where they were, what it all augured. Then the next thing was our one... The next thing was one or two of the letters started to appear, canceled, and then returned, stamped as undelivered or addressed that were not just non-existent, but absurd. Unbalanced letters were no longer being discarded as waste, but now mailed. And Mummykins was uncomplaining throughout. It was enough to break your heart. She was a rock. She did, granted, begin taking prescription anti-anxiety medication. Land of the freely brave. Morath did not say this out loud. Aloud. He looked at his pocket's watch and was trying to remember a time when he had ever with Steeply had to consider the tact of departing. <laughs> steeply at this time, it's also funny that this is, I feel like this is the most Steeply has talked and it's clearly a tactic yes. of some sort. Uh, steeply at this time gave the impression somehow of having several cigarettes going at one time. 
somewhere along late in the progression, the old man let it be known he was working on a secret book that revised and explicated much of the world's military, medical, philosophical, and religious history by analogies to certain subtle and complex thematic codes in MASH. Steeply would stand on one foot to raise the other foot to look at his shoes inflicted damage all the time smoking. Even when he went to, into work, there were problems. Heating oil customers who called for deliveries or information on whatever began to, or, or whatever began to complain that the old man kept trying to engage them in bizarre theoretical discussions of the thematics of MASH. Because it is necessary that I leave soon, a central point must soon be emerging, Marath worked in as gracefully as possible. <laughs> Steeply seemed not to hear this other man. He seemed not only uncalculated and self-enmeshed, his demeanor itself seemed more young, that of some young person. This, unless this was part of some performance beyond Marath, Marath knew he must consider. Then the double blow, Steeply, Steeply said. In BS 1983, my memory's clear on this. The Mumkinski opened an alarming letter from attorneys at for CBS and 20th Century Fox. Certain letters had been apparently rerouted by the D Do Goodnick military postal clerks to Fox. The old man's been trying to correspond with diff uh, with different past and present MASH personalities personas in letters the family never saw get mailed, but whose content the attorney said raised quote grave concerns and could quote constitute grounds for strenuous legal action. Steeply raised the foot to look, his face in pain. He said, Then the program's final episode ran. Late autumn of BS 1983. I was on an, R I was on an ROTC marching band, <laughs> marching band trip to Fort Ticonderoga. Love that place. My kid sister, who by this time left home herself, and who could blame the and who could blame the kid? She reported that Mumkinski was taking ver talking very casually and uncomplainingly of the old man's now refusing to leave his den. This the final enclosing isolation of obsession. Steeply looked over his shoulder on one awkward foot to look slightly at Marath, as in even to go to the bathroom. Now the not leaving. Your mother's prescriptions prevented some episodes of great anxiety. I think. He'd gotten a special AC-DC cable hooked up that brought an, in extra syndication. When reruns weren't rerunning, the video magnetic tapes ran constantly. He was haggard and spectral, and his easy chair was all but unrecognizable. Cheery Oil was keeping him on the books until the, he could get uh, his 30 years at age 60. My kid sister and I started reluctantly discussing the intervening on Mummykins uh, to intervene on the old man and force him to see somebody. Yourselves, you could not reach him. He died just before his birthday. He died in his easy chair, set at full recline, watching an episode in which Alda's Hawkeye can't stop sleepwalking and fears he's going out of his fucking mind until a professional military therapist reassures him, I remember. Me, I too have seen this episode rerunning in my childhood. All I can recall is it is the army professional telling Alda not to worry, that if he was truly crazy, he'd sleep like a newborn as did the notorious Burns slash Linville. The program's character of Burns slept exceptionally well, I remember. His secret book's manuscript filled scores of notebooks. This is what the notebooks turned out to be. One closet in the den had to be forced open. All these notebooks tumbled out. The whole thing was written in a kind of medical slash military looking code, <laughs> though indecipherable. Sis and her first husband and I spent some time trying to decode them after his death in the chair. His unbalance of temptation cost him life. An otherwise harmless USA broadcast television program took his life because of the consuming obsession. 
This is your anecdote. No. It was a transmural infection. Blew out a whole ventricle. Uh, His whole family had a history. The heart. (laughs) The pathologist said it was amazing he'd lasted this long. Morath shrugged. The obsessed frequently endure. Steeply shook the head. It must have been hell on poor Maminsky. She never complained, however. Already the sun was up and pulsing. Light ran over everything in a sickening yellow way like gravy. All birds and living animals had been silenced, stunned already by heat, and the sight's bright loaders had not yet been started in movement. All was calm. All was bright. Steeply shadow on the shelf was squat and blunt, already shorter than the living figure of Steeply himself, who was leaning outward to try to find a spot far below to litter with a crumpled Belgian packing with one prayed no more finely to smoke. Morath took his watch out from out of the windbreaker's pocket. Steeply shrugged. I think you're right that it's part of both the horror and the pool. When I'm east and thinking of Flatto's lab, and I sort of look up and find myself tempted. About the entertainment of now? And I kind of half-picture Hank Hoyne on the old man's recliner, hunched and scribbled feverishly. In military coding. His eyes, they got like that, too, the old man's, like Hoynes, periodically. Heat began to shimmer as well off the lion-hide floor of a desert. The mesquite and cactus wobbled, and Tucson AZ resumed once more the appearance of the mirage, as it had appeared when Morath had first arrived and found his shadow so entrancing in its size and reach. The son of AM had no radial knives of light. It appeared brutal and businesslike and harmful to look upon. Morath allowed himself a few diverting seconds of watching the mountains of the Rincon's widening shadows melt slowly backward into the base of the mountains of the Rincon's. Steeply hawked and spat, still holding the last crumpled pack of Flander fumes. Flander fumes. Uh, My time is sharply finite to remain, Morath said this. Every change of his postures brought small squeaks of leather and metal. I would feel gratitude if you departed first. Steeply figured Morath wanted him to have no idea how he got up and down, (laughs) in and out. To no real purpose, a personal point of pride. Steeply squatted for adjusting the straps of his high heels. His prostheses were still not quite aligned. He spoke with the faintly breathless quality of large men trying to bend. Well, Remy, but I don't think Dick Willis's empty of intent quite does it. Captures it, the eye factor. Hoyne, the Arab internist, the old man. Not for eyes like that. You would say it does not capture these eyes' expression. Looking up while squatting, this made Steeply's neck appear thick. He stared past Morath at the shale. He said, The expressions seem more like, Fuck, how to say it? Fuck. Steeply said in concentration. Petrified, Morath said. Ossified? Inanimate? No, no, not inanimate. More like... The opposite, more as if stuck in some way. Morath's neck itself was stiff from so much time looking out and down from a height. What is it this wishes here to mean? Glued? Steeply was doing something to a toenail's cracked polish. Stuck, fixed, held, trapped. As in trapped in some sort of middle, between two things, pulled apart in different directions. Morath's eyes searched the sky, which this was already too light blue for his pleasure, filmed with a sort of eggy plura of heat, meaning between different cravings of great intensity, this. Not even cravings so much, emptier than that, as if he was stuck wondering, as if there was something he'd forgotten. Misplaced? Lost? Misplaced. Lost. 
misplaced. As you wish. Nice. Uh, that might be the last one. That might be the last Steeply Morath. Uh, I mean, that seems like how you would end that, right? Long, intimate story. Yeah. As, uh, yeah, especially, yeah, that's the most Steeply basically spoke. Uh, we're at 27. How long is this next segment? Oh, it's short. Do you want to do just this? Yeah. Uh, this? Yeah, I'll try to, sl- I'll try to slam through a little, uh, little more edit house. Okay, great. Just cut, cut me off whenever you desire. Great. Let's do like five, ten more minutes. 13 November, year of the dependent adult under garment. O two forty-five hours, and it house the hours that are truly we. Eugenio M., voluntarily filling in for Johnette Foltz on dream duty, is out in the office playing some sort of handheld sports game that blips and tweets. Kate <laughs> Gompert and Jeffrey Day and Ken Erdetti and Bruce Green are in the living room with the lights mostly out and the old jumpy picture DEC viewer on. Cartridges not allowed after OOO hours to encourage sleep. Sober cocaine and stimulant addicts sleep pretty well by the second month. <laughs> Straight alcoholics by the fourth. Abstinent pot and trank addicts can pretty much forget about sleep for the first year. Though Bruce Green is asleep and would be in violation of the no lying on the couch rule if his legs weren't twisted over and his feet on the floor, all the Ennett House viewer gets on spontaneous dissemination is basic interlace, and from 0200 to 0400, interlace New Northeast downloads for the next dissemination day and cuts all transmissions except one line's four straight redissems of the Mr. Bouncy Bounce daily program. <laughs> and when Mr. Bouncy Bounce appears in his old cloth and safety pin diaper and paunch <laughs> and rubber infant head mask, he is not a soothing or pleasant figure at all for the sleepless adult. Ken Erdetti has started this is like a Bozo the Clown show or something. Yeah. Ken Erdetti has started to smoke cigarettes and sits smoking, joggling one leather sl- slipper. Kate Gompert and Jeffrey Day are on the non-leather couch. Kate Gompert sits cross-legged on the couch with her head all the way forward, so her forehead touches her foot. It looks like some kind of spiritually advanced yoga position or stretching exercise, but it's really just the way Kate Gompert has been sitting on the sofa all night, every night, since Wednesday's free-for-all unpleasantness with Lenz and Gately in the streetlet, from which the whole house is still reeling and spiritually palsied. Day's, <laughs> Day's bare calves are completely hairless and look sort of absurd with dress shoes and black socks and a velour bathrobe, <laughs> but Day's proven kind of admirably resistant to caring what other people think, in a way. Like you really care, Kate Gompert's voice is toneless and hard to hear because it issues out from the circle formed by her cross legs. Have we not heard Kate Gompert say anything for uh seven for five hundred pages? Yeah, she's been she's been real quiet. She's in like the she's in like the fourth chapter, right? Yeah, she's the psych ward person being like, uh, I'm depressed. <laughs> oh, look at me, I'm depressed. Look at me, I have depression and anxiety. Uh but lo- look forward to this, sir. It isn't a question of caring or not caring, Day says quietly. <laughs> I meant only that I identify to an extent. Gompert's sarcastic I forgot, I chuff of air <laughs> raises a section of her unwashed bangs. Bruce Green doesn't snore, even with his nose broken and cross-hatched in white tape. Neither he nor Airdeddy is listening to them. Day speaks softly and doesn't cross his legs to incline over to the side toward her. When I was a little boy... Gompert chuffs air again. Just a boy with a violin and a dream and special roundabout routes to school to avoid the boys who took my violin case (laughs) and played keep away over my head with it. One summer afternoon, I was upstairs in the bedroom I shared with my younger brother alone, practicing my violin. It was very hot and there was an electric fan in the window blowing out 
acting as an exhaust fan. I know from exhaust fans, believe you me. The direction of flow is beside the point. It was on. Its position in the window made the glass of the upraised pane vibrate somehow. It produced an odd, high-pitched vibration, invariant and constant. By itself, it was strange but benign. But on this one afternoon, the fan's vibration combined with some certain set of notes I was practicing on the violin, and the two vibrations set up a resonance that made something happen in my head. It is impossible really to explain it, but it was a certain quality of this resonance that produced it. A thing. As the two vibrations combined, it was as if a large, dark, billowing shape came billowing out of some corner in my mind. I can be no more precise than to say large, dark, shape, and billowing. What came flapping out of some backwater of my psyche, I had not the slightest inkling was there. But it was inside you, though. Catherine. Kate. It was total horror. It was all horror everywhere, distilled and given form. It rose in me, out of me, summoned (laughs) somehow by the odd confluence of the fan and those notes. It rose and grew larger and became engulfing and more horrible than I shall ever have the power to convey. I dropped my violin and ran from the room. Was it triangular, the shape? When you say billowing, do you mean like a triangle? Shapeless. Shapelessness was one of the horrible things about it. I can say and mean only shape, dark, and either billowing or flapping. But because the horror receded the moment I left the room, within minutes it had become unreal, the shape and horror. It seemed to have been my imagination, some random bit of psychic flatulence, an anomaly. A mirthless laugh into the ankle. Alcoholics anomalous. <laughs> uh she, Kate Gompert is giving uh, what if Daria tried to kill herself uh, <laughs> Day hasn't switched legs or moved and he isn't looking at her ear or her scalp which are in view in just the way any child will probe a wound or pick at a scab I returned shortly to the room and the fan and picked up the violin again and produced the resonance again immediately and immediately again the black flapping shape rose in my mind again it was a bit like a sail or a small part of the wing of something far too large to be seen in totality it was total psychic horror death decay dissolution cold empty black malevolent lonely voided space it was the worst thing i have ever confronted but you still forgot and went back up there and brought it back and it was inside you uh, completely incongruously, Ken Erditty says, his head's shaped like a mushroom. Day has no idea what he was referring to or talking about. Set free somehow by that one-day-only resonance of violin and fan, the dark shape began rising out of my mind's corner on its own. I dropped the violin again and ran from the room once again, clutching my head at the front and back, but this time it did not recede. The triangular horror... It was as if I'd wakened it, and now it was active. It came and went for a year. I lived in horror of it for a year as a child, never knowing when it would rise up billowing and blot out all light. After a year it receded. I think I was ten, but not all the way. I'd awakened it somehow. Every so often, every few months, it would rise inside me. It isn't like a real interface or conversation. Day doesn't seem to be addressing anybody in particular. (laughs) The last time it ever rose up billowing was my second year of college. I attended Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, graduating magna cum laude. One sophomore night, it came up out of nowhere, the black shape, for the first time in years. 
but there was an inevitability, an inevitability feeling about it too when it came. It's the most horrible feeling I've ever imagined. Hey, it's Sam Jackson. Oh yeah, much less felt. There is no possible way death can feel as bad. It rose up. It was worse now that I was older. Tell me all about it. <laughs> I thought I'd have to hurl myself out of my dormitory's window. I simply could not live with how it felt. You're doing a great job with these voices, Molly. Thank you. Gomper's head isn't all the way up, but now it's about halfway up. Her forehead has a major red impression spot from her ankle bone. She's looking roughly halfway between straight ahead and day beside her. And there was this idea underneath that you'd brought it on, that you'd wakened it up. You went back up to the fan that second time. You, like, despised yourself for waking it up. Day is looking straight ahead. Mr. Bouncy Bounce's head is in no way mushroom-shaped, though it is large and, in the rubber infant mask, apt to appear to the adult viewer kind of grotesque. Some boy I hardly knew in the room below mine heard me staggering around, whimpering at the top of my lungs. He came up and sat with me until it went away. It took most of the night. We didn't converse. He didn't try to comfort me. He spoke very little, just sat up with me. We didn't become friends. By graduation, I'd forgotten his name and major. But on that night, he seemed to be the piece of string by which I hung suspended over hell itself. <laughs> green, green, <laughs> green in his sleep cries out something that sounds like, For God's sake, no, Mr. Ho, don't light it. His swollen black eyes and REM's non sequiturs, plus the capering 130-kilo infant on the viewer, plus Day and Gompert conversing while both staring into space, all backed by the blurps and wonks of Gene M's handheld game in the office, give the dark living room a dreamy and almost surreal atmosphere. Day finally uncrosses his legs and switches them. It's never come back. Over 20 years, but I've not forgotten. And the worst times I have felt since then were like a day at the foot massors compared to the feeling of that black sail or wing rising inside me. Billowing. Not the nuts, Jesus God, not the nuts. <laughs> I understood the term hell as of that summer day and that night in the sophomore dormitory. I understood what people meant by hell. They did not mean the black sail. They meant the associated feelings. Or the corner it came up out of inside, if they mean a place. Kate Gompert is now looking at him. Her face doesn't look better, but does look different. Her neck's clearly stiff from having been contorted. From that day, whenever whether I could articulate it satisfactorily or not, Day says, holding the knee of the leg just crossed, I understood on an intuitive level why people kill themselves. If I had to go for any length of time with that feeling, I'd surely kill myself. Time in the shadow of the wing of the thing too big to see, rising. Oh, God, please, Green says very distinctly. Day says, there is no way it could feel worse. Great. That's the end of that one? Yep. Awesome. Uh, what the fuck is Day talking about there? Just a, 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 a depression? He's talking about just good old-fashioned uh, uh, uh a major depression. Good you ever read the David Foster Wallace story, The Depressed Person? He has a story just called The Depressed Person? It's one of the wildest short stories I've ever read in my life. I will summarize. Maybe mm. we'll read it on here as an aside or I'll do a solo episode uh, or something because it really is. Is it wilder than The Telltale Heart? In its own way. It's about it's <laughs> about a young it? woman who's depressed <laughs> and it the way it's told, it just is this spiral about her 
being so depressed and just the way it like reflects on her social relationships uh-huh. and she just gets into this like mental tangle of like just wishing that she couldn't be depressed while alienating everyone around her. Uh-huh. It's it is he basically creates the feeling of depression, depression in, uh-huh. through the like rhetoric he uses. It's totally unbelievable. Did you see that tweet this week? I don't know who was that big, but it was it definitely resonated with me where it was like tenth grade English teachers be like, I'm I'm gonna bring in a short story today that's gonna fuck you up for the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I th- I do think that that's where where literature really takes is in high school of like it whether is. whether you're down with a sickness or they're not. They're like, and then and there are truly like maybe two dozen short stories that are that are like oh that that are like a fucking bullet to the head those hills really lot- do be like white elephants the hill- hills do be like white elephants the lottery i read again recently and i was just like god damn, damn the way this is written it's so minimalist yep. and like it's so horrifying have they ever made a movie of the lottery i have think they did this? i think they made a made for tv movie about it they need to do an a24 of the lottery uh we <laughs> i think that you the better one would be we have always lived in the castle I don't know that one. It's another Shirley Jackson one. I haven't read. Uh, I, I barely remember, but I also remember it fucking me up. And also, what a great name! Walk away from o- Omelas. Uh, yes, is a is a crazy one. Yeah. Um, God, <laughs> I mean, yeah, any Poe. What is what powers this device? I'm, I'm Amy, a little, a little uh, child. If you go a little later, Amy M- Hempel uh, in the cemetery where uh, Al Jolson is buried. That's some crazy like late nineties minimalism. Oh my god. Uh, I love words, man. Love, it's cool. A, a good short story will fuck you up. Short story is the perfect format because you can read it in one sitting. Yes, exactly. I can't remember who said that. Long it was sto- a real long- guy. Possibly Hemingway. Long stories? Boo. Short stories? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you uh, could argue that this, this who's novel got is t- a Who's got time for, the, for a long story yeah, we do. in this economy? No, lo- love a short story. Um, what are we talking a about? Kindle single. <laughs> a Kindle single. <laughs> Kindle singles in your area. Um, the Morath Steepley thing. Oh yes, uh, it's funny. You ever watch Mash? I've seen. I've never seen. I've a seen single like episode. one episode of Mash. Wow. Huge, huge cultural uh, touchstone for an entire generation that simply like it does not exist anymore. Although, as I um, as I alluded to um. Twitter's uh, the the original bad boy of of film criticism, uh, number one film critic in the LA area, uh, uh, Lex G is yeah. one of, one of his things is being obsessed with Mash. Um, uh, uh, I, d- I didn't know that. Oh, what was I thinking about? Oh, it's it's funny. Obviously, the the media obsession that he describes there is pur- is like purposely overblown to the point of lethality. Yeah. Um, but. It's funny that like that kind of obsessive behavior around a media property is now simply known as liking a TV show. Fandom. Yeah. Especially I was rereading this or hearing you read it rather and yep. being like, well, wait a second. Is this just is he ever going to turn the fandom outward? Because, yeah. you know, that that is the, uh, you know, sign of fandom now is that it's social. Fandom is it, it is social and often anonymous and often psychotic. But that's also <laughs> but that's the weird thing. I, of, I use that word too lightly. Often, um, in, uh, over intense. Let's um, say. yes. Well, that's the the weird thing about like the cultural fandom is that it is both outward and social, but also like deeply possessive. Yeah. You know where you, where it's like no, the this the liking of this media property is an intense personal part of my very identity. Yeah. And like, it, it's not merely an entertainment. It is a way in which I construct 
a, a whole sense of person and idea yeah. and again identity. It's also uh, I think maybe the use of mash is crucial here that it is a parasocial relationship mm-hmm. because the show lasted so long yes. and was so disseminated to create obsession. And Hawkeye is your friend. Yeah, that and he's writing letters to them and whatever. Yeah. And he's writing fan fiction. Uh one maybe of he's the- shipping some people. I do have to say one of the worst things that culture uh, did in my lifetime is uh, convince people that that was okay. Yeah, it's complicated. Well, uh, I mean, it's I, I can't blame can't blame the individual. Can't blame no, no, the, no. Can't blame the system. And yes. also, it's like when the rest of your life. I mean, this guy works at a heating oil place. Mm-hmm. You know, f- finding some kind of Jimmy Buffett style escape. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's no wonder it's, he's got to have the cheeseburger in paradise he's got to have the cheeseburger in paradise which for him is i guess uh just watching mash like 12 hours a day oh it also reminded me of this thing that i was reading recently uh about this woman uh marion stokes okay uh who was a local philadelphia um access television producer uh an archivist especially known for amassing hundreds of thousands of hours of television news footage spanning 35 years. Mm-hmm. And apparently this woman, um, it, 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 it's not clearly laid out in the Wikipedia article, but it's clearly some kind of like obsessive personality thing Yeah, uh, where she maintained a real life, but in the background had like dozens of VHS recorders going in her house at all time, obsessively recording. She was like Bitcoin mining, but for content. Yes, obsessively <laughs> recording. And this is like in the, the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, like yeah. every bit of 24-hour why news. Did she li- why did she like it? Uh, I Again, I assume it's and some then kind we, of like... Is a, it, and then we have it? Yes. and that So when she died, she, she had something like... Uh, the archives ultimately grew to about 71,000 uh, VHS and beta... 71,000 tapes. That's crazy, man. Uh, up to Many up to eight hours each, uh, which she then donated to, or, or her kids helped donate to, like, archive projects. Okay. Uh, because, you know, even in these early days, like, even these, like, 24-hour news networks wouldn't, wouldn't didn't even have archives of their own stuff. So yeah, like, I was going to say, like, you know, in a world before... I, I recently heard um, about the data management of the NFL. Uh-huh. Uh, specific, like, the people who cut, like, highlights and stuff. Is that, like... I, I read it... I think it was on Reddit on, like, the videography or some kind of uh, subreddit of, like, uh, just how complicated it is in terms of, like, they can't have... Fo- they, they can't... They can have footage of the entire game, but they need to have something called melts, which are like the highlight reels, and they need to be like saved uh-huh. and accessible so that if someone then creates Needs a package a, that's yeah, like cool from a specific who's, game, who's a football player right now? Uh, Troy Aikman. <laughs> Dude, what the fuck? Tom Brady refused to retire, right? Yes. If you need a Tom Brady package and it's like we need shit from like, you know, 2008 or whatever. Then you like go yeah. into a melt from, from anyway. Yeah, like from one random to say, game like, of two thousand eight. Yeah. But you could probably only do this in this way because of the uh, storage cloud ability. Versus yes. in this time, it was all literally like, chunk bricks. Yes, you were creating a, like a house of of VHS. Uh, Fascinating. Anyway, anyway, it media obsession when it mo- verges into that level of, uh, you know, life, uh dominating obsession i i don't know it is very it is very interesting and again addiction it is an addiction and again your life the uh i I just want to highlight uh or underscore that that one of the worst things culture has done is tell people that's That's good that's good in fact that that is that's 
that's what you need. That's what you want. Yeah. That's what you want to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's a that's good. Cult, cultivate cultivate your fandom. Yes. Uh no, a resist fandom. Deny fandom. You must defeat the fandom inside of you. I just, you know, yeah, de- I mean, the opposite of something like that is like detachment, right? Yeah. Where you don't I mean, I I see this to talk about fandom a little more broadly than TV or movies is like uh, recently, Phoebe Bridgers, uh, singer-songwriter Tris, uh, it's rumored that she's engaged. Yes. And there were a lot of jokes that I saw in the timeline of being like, oh my God, Phoebe Bridgers is happy and in love. Where am I going to get my sad music now? Uh, oh, oh, Phoebe Bridgers is happy. Let me just go lay down in the river and die. Yeah. And I'm like, I know that they're jokes and that they're somewhat self-conscious and meta about the concept of being that obsessed with like a singer. Mm-hmm. But it is a, it's a, a willful misreading of like what, what the relationship between, to me, an artist and a fan is which is like they don't owe you sad music yes just just get along with the ride whatever the ride is and if they stray from what you are personally interested in find something else and then come back feel that way about saint vincent right now daddy's home was not for me <laughs> i but mass seduction was one of my favorite albums of that year mass seduction. i will I, uh, I saw her twice in a year i will come back to annie when she figures her shit out, but I'm not mad at her for going down well, this the, weird the, 70s porn like aesthetic. This is dovetailing into our other pod and introducing. Sorry, which if you don't like if you like this, go listen but to just, that. But it, but no, I, I totally the, agree. The relation, the fandom relationship, where it is a product that you are consuming. It's like if it, if you buy Oreos and you open it inside and it's Chips Ahoy, you're gonna be mad. But mm. Phoebe Bridgers is not Oreos. She's Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, she's I, not a chocolate sandwich cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was talking about this uh, o- over on our last and intro episode, the Flex Pod or Flex Blog episode, which yeah. is a good one. And if again, if you like this show, you, that would be a good intro. Into we're also we're also we also talk about things over there. But either, that yeah, that that conflation with like um, pops that that there, there's this increasing uh, feeling in the fandom of pop music that the singer's personality and biography it has a one-to-one relationship with the music itself and you aren't just like which is a will, again to, a willful misreading yes exactly and i think it is slightly encouraged in like mass culture to be like no 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 this is these aren't just like songs these are the story of the singer's life that you are yeah listening to like every taylor swift song isn't just a song it is about taylor swift's life yeah and it about her relationships and she is the songs and the songs are her and to yeah. like a Taylor Swift song is to be engaging with her personal life yeah. in a direct way. Yeah. Which obviously, you know, yeah. someone like Taylor Swift She's does parasocial. Put, yeah, parasocial. She does put and God, Taylor Swift, perfect thing to bring up in relation to reading it uh, weird codified things mm-hmm. uh into MASH is that you have Taylor Swift fans being she'll she encourages this decoding relationship with her fans yeah, yeah. where she'll post a picture and someone will be like, uh, that book is open to page twenty eight, which represents yes. her uh relationship with Harry Styles back in whatever, which means she's going to re record uh style. Oh my god, everyone gets so excited. It's style, Taylor's version. Um it used to be like in like if you're watching like tv shows from the 90s it would be like a joke about a crazy person that you know yeah. the tv has sended coded messages to them or that that uh you know uh i don't know who's a who's a singer that would be popular in the 90s belinda belinda carlisle 
uh, is sending sending me coded messages. Alanis Morissette, yeah, or whatever. Alanis Morissette yeah. is sending me coded messages through her music. That would be like an offhanded joke you would put in a sitcom to be like that person. That person's crazy. off there. They're whoppers with a side of poppers. And, and now there, it is like a whole subset of people who are very much actively and encouraged being like yes taylor swift is sending me coded messages yeah. through her music and then a bunch of people around around them are like yes yes that's literally true about yes and know. let's yeah let's stir this up until yeah, the yeah. you know hundredth degree i don't know if that's a real term but that's mm -hmm. it is funny that is a perversion of close reading which is yes. something that i'm sure david foster wallace is very aware of as a thing like i'm pr pretty sure he was teaching might have been teaching writing by this time at some college yeah uh Anyway, the 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 idea that you know the media is are, are dense texts to be explored and analyzed, and mm -hmm. then but also you can you can take it too far. Um, speaking of uh, you know obsessive uh, media control over uh, people's minds, we got to go see Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> uh, but I do want to leave with um, one thing which is that we were watching some uh, old episodes of Venture Brothers last night. And just like everything in this long process of reading Infinite Jest, I was w w engaging with an old media property and being like, I wonder if David Foster Wallace ever watched Venture Brothers. Yeah. Uh, because I think he would like it. And it brings me some joy in my, uh, in my, in my mind to, be to think that he lived long enough to watch three, maybe four seasons of Venture Brothers. Yeah. One must imagine David Foster Wallace enjoying Venture Brothers. I feel like he's he he's a tro he likes he loves cliches and tropes, which yes. is I think something that Venture Brothers plays Traffics, around yeah, yeah. a lot in and creates comedy out yes. of. So I can see it like D David Foster Wallace is is constantly trying to like categorize things. Uh, I also like you know the cent I think that he would have enjoyed or at least engaged with. I mean the the central trope of the. Uh, of infinite jest is the incandenza family a, a classic the classic trope of overachieving fail family which is yes. also the center yeah what, uh, what if a family yeah what if a family was uh was uh smart but uh but also fail but yeah fucked up yeah what if a family was fucked up damn somebody should maybe write a happy, book about that happy, what is it like? happy families are all the same fucked up families are all fucked, fucked up, up in their, their own way, way. <laughs> dude that was like the remember like the pride and prejudice and zombies era oh, the God. like the the epic baconification of literature abraham lincoln vampire hunter a, a, i love it uh hey whatever whatever gets people in the door i'm a i'm an equal opportunity uh yeah. re read uh read encourager yeah um, I'm a poster in the '90s in a in a library yeah. saying, "Read, it's good for you." Read, it's good for you. I just got a new book, a physical book that I'm reading right now. What is it? It's uh, it's Truman Capote, uh, and it's some like uh, assembled. Uh, I forget the title, of course, but some assembled reportage and uh, vignettes and and picaresques. My aunt lived in New York in the late '70s, early '80s, and used to go to actual Studio 54, and she said she saw Truman Capote there once. Uh, and kind of jokingly asked him to dance. And his response was, young lady, if I was inclined to dance with a woman, you would be the first I would dance with. Classy. <laughs> That's a classy dude. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go see that strange doctor. I honestly can't. I can't even handle it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> well, why does a movie need to be good? Is it enough to say be see Benedict Cumberbatch's face huge? Yes. Yes. Well, and fractured into a million puzzle cubes. pieces. Yes. Cubes. Cubes. Is it, is it enough to see a face cubed? cubed. All right. Bye, Bye everyone.